0: Hello, this is the Evidence-Based GI podcast, and I'm Philip Schoenfeld, Editor-in-Chief. Today, we'll be discussing the appropriate use of surgery to manage PPI-resistant gastroesophageal reflux disease. With us is Jennifer Kolb, Assistant Professor of Medicine at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA, and we'll be discussing her recent summary surgery is superior to medical therapy for true heartburn that is reflux related and PPI refractory. So, Dr. Kolb, welcome. And, you know, why is this an important topic about how to manage the PPI resistant GERD patient? Thank you. Well, GERD is
1: very common. It affects probably 20% of the U.S. population. I'm sure, you know, if you're sitting in a room, at least one person in that room has experienced heartburn or reflux. And there's a lot of different symptom components that really make up GERD. So some people may feel heartburn, some may have regurgitation, chest pain, and these are really impact quality of life. These symptoms can be really challenging to manage. They can interfere with people's everyday activities. And a lot of times these are managed by primary care doctors, these symptoms, or even self-treated with over-the-counter TUMs or PPIs or H2 blockers. But Because of how common and how frequent these symptoms are, oftentimes these patients don't get to the GI doctors until symptoms are very severe or not responding to the typical medication. So this is something everybody is going to see from primary care, pharmacies and local clinics to, you know, the GI doctors for the really tough cases.
0: Sure. I mean, we all see patients that are treated empirically with PPIs for gastroesophageal reflux and they aren't getting adequate relief of their symptoms. And sometimes that's because they're actually resistant to PPI, meaning they're actually still getting acid reflux despite being on PPI. And sometimes it's because something else is going on. Maybe it's eosinophilic esophagitis or another esophageal motility disorder Or maybe it's because they have brain gut defect and and have a functional heartburn, or even that it's not related to the esophagus at all, that they're having some type of discomfort in their chest. So, you know, this study looked at whether a laparoscopic fundoplication would be superior to medical therapy for those PPI-resisting patients. And could you tell us a little bit more about what the investigators in this study did to assess that issue?
1: Yes, this was a VA cooperative study. So this was done at multiple centers, multiple uh, Veterans Affairs Centers. And the, the trial design was two parts. So it was a prospective trial with a pre-randomization period, then followed with a double-blind randomization. And so what the investigators did, which was really important and kind of touches on your prior point, is that they first did a, made a lot of efforts to really identify a highly select group of patients with true PPI, unresponsive heartburn. And the way they did that was by recruiting patients who had these symptoms. They screened them with questionnaires. And the first thing they did is they gave them a two-week trial of omeprazole 20 milligrams twice daily for two weeks. And there were definitely some people who responded to that, about 11% of the cohort up front, And then the patients who still had symptoms, despite that short trial, then underwent an evaluation. This really speaks to kind of the importance of doing this comprehensive evaluation up front. Patients had a upper endoscopy with biopsy.
0: And Jen, if I could just have you pause there for a moment. I know you and I have talked about this before. And that first stage of the randomization, I think, is really important, or I should say of the pre-randomization is really important because when people don't respond to PPIs, the first thing you want to do, as you've told me, is make sure they're taking their PPI properly, taking it 30 minutes before breakfast, 30 minutes before dinner. And by truly having these patients take their medication properly twice a day for two weeks before moving on to further tests, I think is one of the most important things we can do for patients who say they're PPI resistant.
1: Absolutely. I mean, so much of the, you know, the, persistent symptoms or unresponsive patients, really, if you just take a good history and do really good patient counseling on sort of lifestyle interventions and proper medication behavior, the time and when and how to take it, you can actually really help a a group of patients. And oftentimes they just, you know, need to be told multiple times kind of why this is what we recommend.
0: But as you said, for those patients who truly were taking it and didn't get better, based on GERD questionnaires, and then they went through further testing. So what else did they do in this study?
1: So the traditional typical testing should include an upper endoscopy. Uh, you should take biopsies that can be to evaluate and rule out eosinophilic esophagitis, especially if there's a dysphagia component. You're looking for peptic strictures, you're looking for erosive esophagitis, LA class C or D, which we consider really, you know, the sort of definition of erosive esophagitis. Manometry is also important to consider in these patients, and that's what they did in this study. Because there's quite a bit of overlap with heartburn and regurgitation as symptoms with motility disorders. So manometry can help rule out those achalasia, EGJ outflow obstruction or spastic patients. And then of course you wanna confirm that there's pathologic acid and that can be done with pH monitoring alone, uh, usually off medication or in this study with impedance pH monitoring. And essentially you're trying to exclude all these other causes of non-GERD.
0: So these patients underwent all these tests and then in order to be randomized they had to demonstrate that they were true PPI resistant GERD patients based on either having significant acid reflux that is more than 4% of the time with a, a esophageal pH I believe lower than 4 or a very high symptom correlation, meaning they, they might not have much acid reflux, but even that little bit of physiologic acid reflux, they clearly were very sensitive to it, whether it was acid or even bile. And it was only those patients who then went on to be randomized. Is that about right?
1: Exactly. And just to put some numbers to that, this was, you know, over a three year, three ish year period, there were 366 patients who were enrolled and 288 were excluded during that pre randomization. So, really, only 23% of the initial cohort or 78 patients went on to be randomized to surgery. And so, thinking about who got excluded. There were 11.5% of the patients who responded to PPI, which just again, emphasizes the importance of really counseling the patients on proper medication compliance and how to take it. A small group of patients had a non-GERD disorders and almost a third of patients, 27%, had functional heartburn. And again, as you mentioned, functional heartburn is quite common and it, it does need to be sort of excluded and or diagnosed because it may or may not respond to sort of these traditional therapies. So after the, investigators did that really, really fantastic and strict pre-randomization period. They ended up with 27, there were three arms, I should guess take a step back and we'll kind of define the study. So there were three arms to the study. There was surgery, which is a laparoscopic Nissen fundoplication. There was active medical treatment, and then there was a control medical treatment arm. And the active treatment was omeprazole plus baclofen, or disipramine. And the control was omeprazole plus placebo. And they ended up with a pretty balanced randomization, about 27 patients to surgery, 25 to active medication, and 26 to control medication.
0: So as you said, a lot of the patients that were excluded had functional heartburn, meaning they described heartburn type symptoms, but it was not associated with actual acid reflux on the 24-hour pH monitoring, which was done on PPI, nor was there any good symptom association even with physiologic reflux. These are people who just have a very sensitive esophagus and complain of a lot of discomfort associated with it, but it's not related to acid reflux. and, And those are patients that get excluded and that we wouldn't want to send for a Nissen. Um, in this group, in addition to either getting surgery, they could get a PPI plus actually taking a medicine to try to tighten up the esophageal sphincter. And if that didn't work, even giving a try to a TCA, the zipper or that control group. So what did the results actually show in this highly select group?
1: So treatment success was really defined as, you know, resolution of symptoms. They did have a sort of secondary endpoint of treatment success in the surgical group, which meant that if they had resumed their PPI, that was no longer considered as successful. But looking at the pure numbers, treatment success was quite high in the surgical group at 67%. And when you compare that to the active medical treatment, which was 28%, Surgery was significantly better. When you compare treatment success from the surgical group to the control medical treatment at 12%, surgery, again, was superior to control medical treatment. When you look at just the two-way comparison between active and control medical treatment, Although active treatment had a 28% success rate and control a 12%, statistically, this difference was not significant. So to kind of sum that up, surgery in this highly select group of patients definitely seems to have better treatment success compared to medications.
0: Although... It's a limitation of the study that only a relatively small number of people were randomized. The fact that active medical treatment with PPI plus baclofen and or dezipramine wasn't superior to just PPI alone at 28% versus 12% may simply reflect that you only had about 25 people in each of those two groups. It wasn't powered adequately to show a difference there. When you think about your own practice, when do you think about referring a patient to a surgeon to have a discussion about a nissen fundoplication or having a discussion with the patient about a endoscopic intervention to treat their PPI-resistant GERD? I think-
1: as these interventions have become sort of more common, and I'll I'll speak a little bit maybe about the endoscopic options, I just tend to bring it up sooner with patients, not necessarily to refer them sooner, but just so that they're starting to be aware that there are other options besides lifelong medication. You know, it goes without saying that first step is to do that comprehensive diagnostic evaluation. And even this study, which is extremely well done and probably can't be replicated just demonstrates the difficulty in in actually getting uh, that select group of patients because you really will find things on that initial diagnostic evaluation. But once I have a patient who I feel like I've really optimized their PPI, I've switched to the potent one, they're taking it, and you know there's either two, maybe two options. So they're either PPI refractory, PPI averse, or they have a real anatomic problem that I just don't think medication is going to overcome. So they have a large hiatal hernia and ongoing erosive esophagitis or peptic stricture that we just can't, you know, get, we just can't manage anymore. So then I offer them surgery uh, upfront, or at least a consultation with the surgeons. You know, I, Obviously, we'll defer to my surgical colleagues, but I think there are alternatives besides just a um, a fun duplication. There's also magnetic sphincter augmentation, and, and that's sort of for them to discuss with the patient. But we do have some good new endoscopic options. So TIF, or transoral incisionless fundoplication, is a great endoscopic alternative, but it's really only meant for patients with a very small hiatal hernia, so one centimeter, maybe two, who have a, a hill grade of one or two. And really, this only addresses the gastroesophageal flap valve, so it's not going to do anything if there's a need for a diaphragmatic crural repair. But if they happen to fit this category, then I will offer this to patients who maybe have Have you know reflux that they don't really want to be on the PPI forever, but they don't really have bad erosive esophagitis, and they just want some sort of a solution. Um, We can even combine a TIF with a hiatal hernia repair. That's a C TIF or a concomitant repair can be done by a surgeon by a GI in collaboration with a surgeon, and that is a potential alternative if patients don't want an aggressive surgery. And, you know, certainly there's comorbidities come into play and patient preference. But I think there are so many patients with GERD who aren't really being offered many of these kind of more definitive therapies.
0: Sure. So just to paraphrase that, if a patient has a large hiatal hernia, if they're very averse to staying on PPIs, if they have LA grade C or D esophagitis that continues despite being on PPIs, that these are some of the patients that you'd at least refer to have that early discussion about surgery with a surgeon and that if the hiatal hernia is small and they're PPI adverse, that TIF is something that should be considered as well. And I guess In summary, what this study really emphasizes, though, is that you need to be highly selective by doing pH monitoring on PPI, doing manometry, doing endoscopy with esophageal biopsies to make sure you're truly dealing with either that PPI-averse or PPI-resistant population before moving to that surgical or endoscopic intervention
1: exactly and i think the fact that these trial investigators actually encountered all these obstacles and had to make some intertrial you know protocol amendments really suggests that this is a problem in how we evaluate and study therapies for gerd because it really does require that diagnostic evaluation and once you've gone through that process patients with this this true ppi unresponsive reflux are probably not as frequent as we expect. But the good news is that leaves a lot of opportunity to pick up other esophageal disorders that can be treated with alternative approaches.
0: Well, great. Well, I think this will be very helpful for our listeners about knowing what to do in terms of their workup for patients that appear to be PPI resistant and when to refer for surgery. So thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you.